Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Boom Goddess Podcast Project with your hosts, myself, Dr. Andrea Goldmarks, Jennifer Davis-Page, and Bibi Peters. This podcast aims to ignite inspiration in primetime women by creating a super learning community, a safe space for all women to contribute their voices and visions. For more information on this episode, and to learn more, visit us at boomgoddessradio.com. Hello, this is Boom Goddess Radio, and we welcome you to today's show. This is Jennifer Davis-Page sitting here with my fellow goddesses, Dr. Andrea Gould and B.B. Peters. Today we're going to talk about a little of the extension of what we we spoke about last week and that is self-care. We would like to talk to you about our blog and we'd like to make sure that you go to our blog and send us your comments on how you take care of yourself. So a couple of uh, comments that we'll go over, and uh, this is Bibi uh, from our website, and I got there from our website. I clicked on our Vista page and then clicked on the latest blog that we posted, which is on self-care, and then these comments that were sent in to us. So Marcy D says, the bath is my sanctuary to unwind and let go swimming in various forms of meditation. Pamela R. says, I manage my stress with my yoga practice, hugging kids, and playing with them at the community garden of Tubac, lap swimming, and planning fun times with my friends. Kathy E. said, I read and I do puzzles and I pray. Elizabeth G. said, deep cleansing breaths walk in nature, focus on the positive, and let go of the negative. And Tina C. says, definitely breathing. And we foster puppies, so I find puppy bellies to be an incredible <laughs> stress reliever too. As who would not, right? And B.B. Peter says, nature walks, Zumba, occasional wine, or savory tequila, guided meditation, working on something immensely creative and absorbing, hanging with my girl pals, local trips, and swimming, and more. I think Bibi is the goddess of self-care <laughs> in this survey. That's just a sampling, and this is Dr. Andrea making that comment. Well, thank you for noticing that, and I'm proud to have that title uh, given to me. Um, Self-care is, is something that I began to practice a little bit more because I don't have children. I don't have brothers or sisters. So it was a way to sort of look at myself and see how I can develop personally and uh, how I can have a joyful and healthy life. It's a wonderful perspective to at least even have the words inside ourselves, so how am I taking care of myself? The first thing I might do is complain to myself. (laughs) I might complain in my journal, but the question always to myself is, what can I do to take care of myself? I'd like to talk a little bit. We, you know, all of the ladies were wonderful in giving their comments on on what they do to take care of themselves, and most of them were physical. You know, walking and and and, and dancing and and rubbing on the bellies of wonderful puppies. But I would like to talk about emotional self care. Now, how do we do that? Um, learning to say no when you want to. Saying exactly what you mean. There never seems to be any time for me. How do I get that? 
those are some questions I'd like us to talk about today. And I think emotional self-care is really the conversation we began last week, which is basically the self-care that the self that we talk about is mind and body, is heart and body. So I think that this conversation about emotional self-care is is maybe more specifically in many ways relational like as you bring it up how do I say no how do I say that's enough how do I speak my mind when I'm beginning to get tense that there might not be enough room for me well you know that's that's excellent but we I my thought is I'm gonna. I'm. I'm. I'm bringing it around again about self-care because I think if you don't take care of your emotional life, it can really eat you up. So it could be relational, as you said, but but we do have to. Some of us don't even know how to say no. I mean, how many times have we talked to our friends or and loved ones, and they've said, you know, I'm doing this. I really don't want to, but I. I, I didn't know. I couldn't say no to them. And I wanted to, and then they start resenting doing doing the task at hand, resenting the person for even asking them. So, you know, I just want us to explain to our listeners how we can just protect ourselves from that. And I think that leads to that other question that we have, which is, how do you develop that awareness in yourself to sort of uh, measure or recognize how it is that you are communicating, how it is that it's making you feel, what are the results that you're getting with your style? Um, Are those the kind of questions that we often ask ourselves? I think it's really positive if we do ask ourselves that, because if we ask ourselves a how question, like how am I feeling when I'm getting tense? How do I know I'm at the end of my rope? How do I know I really have to have a conversation, even if I don't know when to start? So the truth is that a lot of those answers are really body-based sensations, like our throat is closing up, our head is pounding, our heart is pounding, our shoulders are up to our ears, our hands are clenched, our teeth are clenched, we have butterflies in our stomach, we have anxiety. Those are body-based signals that are the first signals, the red flags that we need to pay attention to. And stress can really be a killer, can't it? For sure. Probably the biggest killer. And welcome back. We're talking this, uh, that's Dr. Andrea Gould, uh, Jennifer Davis-Page, and myself, B.B. Peters. We're talking a little bit more about uh, what happened in our previous episode where we talked about self-care, and now we're talking more about the emotional side of self-care. It's amazing how many, how many, different kinds of stress there can be. I mean, let's just make a distinction for a moment. There's the stress of circumstances. There's the stress of unavoidable circumstances. There's the stress that we put on ourselves with perfectionism, expectations. Um, And then there's the stress that we incur in relationship to other people. And so, Jen, that was your kind of main question, right? How to... Um, release or uh, do away with some of that discomfort. Or minimize or deal with. Or minimize or deal with it. Absolutely. My thought, you know, friends and family, you know, you've got to deal with family, certainly. But friends who only call you when they they want something, that that can be stressful. We talked earlier. Why is it stressful, though? Well, because uh, if you haven't learned... To say no, we talked about that in, 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 the, in the first segment of this show. If you haven't learned to say no, and I think that's, a, that's important, then you can feel kind of trapped because you know they're calling you, they want something, and they know that you 
are an easy target because you're not going to say no to them. That can be very, very stressful. Question. Yes. What do you suppose is underneath the ability not to be able to say no? Tell us, doctor, because I would like to know well, how to say no. But let's go. Why wouldn't you say no? Because maybe you're not comfortable with the boundaries that you've set around yourself uh, because you may feel that the other person will think less of you or that you are their intended caregiver and um, they won't love you as much if you say no. They won't love you as much. Right. And it really depends on your training. I read something one time that said if you want a really good husband or a good wife, marry somebody that's in the customer service industry because they're trained not to say no to you. They're trained to accommodate. And that crosses over from your business to your home life. So if you are a person that has been that that is paid to deliver great service, so when you get home, that carries over. And perhaps you don't want to give good service at home. Perhaps you want to say no. So I think it just, it becomes part of your fiber, really. It, it really does. I mean, and I'm sure there's a lot of our listeners that agree that they just want to learn how to say no. Just say no. Is that possible? <laughs> Is it possible to just say no? I think it has to be it possible to, be. to just say no, right? Uh, if you could just take a minute to reflect in yourself and see what is causing you some angst or what is causing you the discomfort that you are feeling at the moment and that you want to intentionally get rid of that um, you have to be able to say no to those environmental or or social aspects that put you in a uncomfortable place demands 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 and you know i think we can use another word which is boundaries and if something feels like an assault, let's say we have no time and somebody's asking us to do something, we either have a boundary that says, I'm sorry, I'm out of time right now, or I'm sorry, I don't have time right now, or let's think of a better time when we can talk about this. That's an example of setting a boundary. So I think it's not so much a matter of saying the word no, although no is probably one of the most powerful words in any language. No sets up a boundary. But before we say the actual word no, we really need to take a look at what is it that we're trying to preserve. Like you just said, Bibi, maybe we want to be seen as a, as a good friend. Maybe we don't want the person to think that we don't love them. Maybe we want to you know, and preserve our image of superwoman or a woman that can always manage to do whatever it, whatever needs to be done. Maybe we've established a reputation for being a go-to person. Or maybe we would think less of ourselves if we said no. So it's a self-diminishing perspective or view, which we fear we don't want to be in. Well, like we were speaking about last week, that if we're perfectionistic, if we hold ourselves to a higher standard, if we see ourselves as the forever Girl Scout or the forever rescuer or the forever caregiver, that's a self-perception that sets us up not to be able to say no. I learned very late in life how to say no. And it felt really good when I did say no. I mean, I said no. And it was almost like I was surprised that the word came out of my mouth. And what happened when you did say I no? I felt really relieved. Did you say no to another person? Yes, I did. And I said, what, did, what happened to them? And they were fine with it. Well, there you go. I'll tell you a story very quickly. When I was a graduate student, um, I was about to uh, actually have my first child. And somebody had asked me to be on her dissertation committee. And I said yes, because I didn't know what it was going to be like uh, being a young mother, a new mother. So as I became totally overwhelmed in the first weeks of having a new 
baby, I realized that I had this commitment that I could no longer fulfill. So as a young psychologist, I wasn't even a student, I was already a graduate, um, I said to myself, okay, this is a time to experiment with staying no. And I called up this woman and I said, let's say her name was uh, Sally. Sally. Okay. Let's say it. <laughs> I, I called up Sally and I said, listen, I, I know that you're, she was way older than me. I said, I know that you're a mom. I know that you would understand this. I just gave birth last week and I'm really not able to fulfill that commitment. I'm so sorry. I, I'll see if I can find somebody else to do it. I had no idea what it was going to be like to be fresh into motherhood. And she got so mad at me. She never spoke to me again. My now, goodness. here was a good example of I said no, and I get kicked out of heaven. You know, right. I said no, and she didn't like me anymore. And I, I remember that story. It's like 30 years later, but I remember that story because here I was as a psychologist, trained in self-care, taking care of myself, and she dismissed me as a friend that was the end of our relationship well, how did you feel about how did you feel about that did you continue to say no when no was necessary or did you say were are other people going to feel that way about me i basically was so busy at that time okay. that, <laughs> that i just said to myself i can't you know i mean here's another psychologist who doesn't understand she's also a mother of three that she doesn't get it i think i'm going to sacrifice this relationship and I did. And funny, I saw her like five years later at a conference, and she acted like nothing happened. You know, and that kind of brings to mind the idea of, so how are we prepared for when the other person is saying no to us? Are we prepared to accept that? That's great. That, that's a great question. How do we prepare ourselves when somebody else sets a boundary? Well, it's interesting because I, don't, I do my best not to ask a lot of people, my friends, I don't ask a lot of them. Very few people say no to me because I don't, I don't ask you to do anything for me. You know, I, you know, it might be a small favor, and I'm perfectly fine if you say no. I don't have time to do it. I'm really very, and all of my friends know that I'm a person you can say no to with, without any kind of uh, retaliation at all. Interesting, Jen, that distinction between another person retaliating or there being a consequence of saying no. Maybe when we get back, we can talk a little bit about the consequences of saying no, the consequences to ourselves, as well as the consequences to others. I'm Dr. Andrea here with my colleagues, Jennifer Davis-Page and B.B. Peters, and we're talking about the consequences of self-preserving conversations, and we've landed on the word no. And the question of what are the consequences or what could be retaliation for our saying no? Jen, you use the word retaliation. What comes to mind? What, do, what did you mean by that? Well... You're not doing what I've asked you to do. You've said no, and it's not sitting with me well. Well, you know, which doesn't often happen. But then there, sometimes there can be a series of things that, that you're giving and giving and giving, and you expect that when you do ask once in a while for someone to do something for you, and then they decide that they don't want to do it. Retaliation is... I'm not going to do anything in my head. I'm not going to do the next three things for you. So I call, that, con of, I call that consequences. Well, what's the difference then? What's the difference between consequence and retaliation? Okay. I, that, I, I think that's a great question. What do you yes. think? I think that consequences are uh, not intentional. They are things that happen uh, spontaneously. Uh, something that we have no control over. Um, I think that retaliation to me implies a little bit more of personal pursuit or maybe a little anger or getting back. It's well, getting back. That's the word I want to use because that's how I, when I made that statement of re uh, no retaliation, then because I can be a person that can um, retaliate based on that definition. 
Right. So let's go back to consequence. So we were talking about we want the family members, perhaps, to make dinner because we're we're going to be working till 8 o'clock at night. So we say to the family members, I'm going to leave you $30 and I would like you to go shopping or get what you need for dinner because I'm going to come home and I'm going to be exhausted. I would love it if there was dinner on the table. I would love it if dinner was brought in. That's that's my need. And now at this point they say, no, or you come home and they don't do it. So how do you feel? What's the consequence? Mm-hmm. The consequences that they don't eat, there's a possibility that you don't eat. Exactly. Right? Or there's peanut butter and jelly for everybody. Mm-hmm. Well, then it's up to everybody else it's to up shift to everybody. for themselves. It's up to everybody to... Um, to shift for themselves. Right. But you see, the person that makes the decision not to take the $30 and not to have dinner there made that decision for one, one reason. What reason They did that? not want to do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, that, no. and that's not a bad thing. They're doing exactly what they want to do, which I think is very healthy. Mm-hmm. For them. Okay. And they don't care about the consequences of their actions. For them. For them. Nor for you. They don't care if you're hungry. Exactly. Okay, so then what do you do to take care of yourself at that moment? Well, if the situation was in my home, I would go to bed hungry, grab a, uh, or grab some kind of protein drink, but the stove wouldn't be turned on, there would be no cooking, there would be... There would be nothing because I would be so angry at that point. I would my appetite would be gone. Mm-hmm. So no, so yeah, I I I would, and there would be no more meals for several several days. Okay, and so that's that, my that's, retaliation. That's your retaliation. Yes. Okay. So my question is, how does that advance your prevention of that from happening again? How does that how does that enhance your self preservation walking forward out of this incident? Well, the bigger question is, how do you make that other person take the next $30 and go to the store? I don't think you can make anybody do anything. Okay. All right. That's just my opinion. All right. But the consequence, well, what would, (laughs) I guess everybody's different because then if nobody's eating, that $30 is still on the table and nobody's eating, everybody's having a protein drink. Well, it sounds like a, what do you call it, an object lesson. Exactly. Okay. But is the other person learning anything? We don't Maybe know. not. But I'm more interested in how you get to take care of yourself. So let's say you order from Nutrisystems for the next month and you've got things labeled in the, refri- in the freezer and they have your name on it and you know that you've got a nice uh, calorie-controlled uh, meal to look forward to when you get home and everybody else does what their thing is. But There's how, lots of families that do but, that. By but now. how selfish is that? I mean, how On whose part? Oh, I mean, how? I, that, that's a big question. Yes. The how, selfishness of that. And let me tell you, I am all for being selfish. I am so connected to that feeling of understanding what drives me, what moves me, what pleases me. And I don't see it as selfish at all. I see that as I don't know, like being balanced or in tune with myself. And be, and if I, and I feel, and I've proven this, that if I do those things that please me, then other people will be happier because I am happy inside. And they'll then perhaps begin doing things that please them. Now, if your value is that everybody sits down for dinner together, then another kind of conversation needs to be had. A conversation almost as if, hey, we're getting to know each other now in this new chapter of life where I'm working until 8 o'clock at night. And so let's draw up a different kind of agreement about how we're going to do family dinners. And we basically have to notice that we have a new contract with each other now because life has changed. And then you can ask the other persons maybe some other some other questions about what's important to them. It, do they want to sit at a table with other members and enjoy that hour? Is that a value that they have? And it might um, not be. And it may not be. And, and so then you need to sort of rephrase your own thinking and determine what it is that you want to be doing. Well, then there's also the declarative, which then says, 
okay I see that this is not a priority for you guys so I'm gonna tell you what you can expect from me I'm gonna take care of myself in terms of eating when I come home from work and you guys can take care of yourselves during the week I'm just declaring that this is what you can expect in my book it doesn't have to be a retaliation it can simply be a consequence Welcome back to um, the podcast, our Boom Goddess, our Boom Goddess podcast. This is Jennifer Davis Page here with the other goddesses, Dr. Andrea Gould and BB Peters. We're going to talk a little bit about being selfish. Doctor, is it okay to be selfish? And what does really what does selfish really mean? I, you know, I kind of want to throw that back to you, Jen. What does selfish mean to you? What does it bring up? What does it mean to you? Well, you know, when I feel, when I feel selfish, it's a negative for me. Because I feel that there's no reason for me not to do A, B, or C. I just don't want to do A, B, and C. So uh, being raised the way I was, and, and, and as I said, being in customer service and, and aiming to please everyone, that comes into my, to, to my home. So... I think it's, it's I think it's healthy, doctor. I think it's healthy to be selfish. You know, we're talking about self-care and I think it it's it's healthy to be selfish at at times. What are your thoughts? Well, are you asking the queen of selfish? I'm uh, asking the for queen. For my yes. opinion, um, okay, to me selfish is being aware of what my needs are, how things make me feel how people uh, rub me the wrong or the right way how the how nature how my life is going to really understand what those elements are in my life and then choosing the ones that give me the greatest joy and pleasure at some point in time like you jen i thought that thinking about myself was more sort of on the egotistical or selfish side in a negative tone but to me it is feeling whole and peaceful and at ease and it's a good thing yeah that that i think that's what it is to me she'll live longer doctor (laughs) bb will live longer than i will i i definitely think that um selfish has gotten a bad rap if we talk about self-preserving self-aware um i'm not saying self-involved but i'm saying self-preserving and self-aware then there's certain language that we can use usually when we say selfish it's in relation to someone else right it's not just we're being selfish with ourselves we could say we're being indulgent. Right. If I say, I've got yes. a lot of work to do, and then I say, another part of me says, oh, why don't you go to the movies instead? And I say to myself, I really could use a movie. I might judge myself as being self-indulgent, but I also might say, maybe I just need a change of venue. Maybe I need to sit in a dark air-conditioned place and be uh, transported to another state. Um, maybe that's a form of self-care in my way of thinking it's a form of self-care selfish is not a word that really comes into play a lot in my life currently even in my discussion with other people I think it really comes down to self-care so I don't judge you know you bring up customer service and you bring up being the yes person and the person who takes care of other people but just like we see when we're on a jet in a destination and they say the oxygen masks will drop down and you need to take care of yourself before you put it even on your child and that metaphor is very very strong because we really can't take care of people unless we take care of ourselves so that's my opinion and that doesn't mean to be nasty or not consider other people's feelings it it does mean having a conversation where we say this is what I need in order to function and what do you need let's see if we can work something out that works for both of us it sort of comes up um, across to me like a level of I don't know 
maturity or growth or understanding or awareness, I guess, that uh, you come to and you're comfortable at that level of either saying no or wanting to ask for something or uh, hearing a no and um, knowing that you are processing it inside of you and that you are growing because of that. Well, I think growing healthy would be a good place or, you know, to ask, will this conversation eliminate some stress from my life? Will this upcoming week where I know I'm taking care of my own food and my own nurturance, will that put me in better stead so that maybe on the weekend I'm more than happy to do something else that will be pleasing to another person? I think it's really about conversation and about feeling entitled and really understanding that the better we care for ourselves, the better we can relate with other people, the more satisfying our relationships can be. And do you think that it really begins with those self discussions that we have with ourselves uh, before we can engage in a discussion about this very topic with others, our loved ones and friends. I love to think about that we have a part of us that doesn't want to do something or is reluctant to do something or is too proud to do something or say something. And then the other part of us that really needs a break. And those two parts can have a conversation with each other without even involving anybody else just to kind of hear what each part is really saying. Well, I I sometimes envy men and women that are more um, uh, self-protecting of them uh, self-protecting of themselves than I am and I sometimes kind of look at them and say just like I just said you're gonna live longer than I am because you take really good care of yourself and you don't want it. you don't do anything that you don't want to do and I think that's admirable I'm trying to grow up to be like that so, you know, every day, you know, you, you, you process and you, say, and, and you say to yourself, well, I'm going to get better about this in protecting myself and taking care of myself. And so, that, so certain things don't um, fester and that can send you into bad health. Well, I, I really like the idea of doing experiments. If we're looking to change a behavior, maybe what we need to do is take baby steps, baby experiments, and see what happens as a result of our sharing a truth or asking, making a request. I think experiment is a good place to land this for now. Being willing to experiment. Hmm. Welcome back to Boom Goddess Podcast. We're talking with Dr. Andrea Gould and Jennifer Davis-Page and myself, B.B. Peters, about uh, emotional self-care, but particularly about the methods or reasons or paths that we choose relative to our lifestyle. How do we conduct um, those type of uh, components? How do we fit them into our life? I like, I like to use the word choices. How, what kind of choices do we need to make to develop a lifestyle that gives us the maximum amount of self-care opportunity? And um, yeah, and, and how do we make those choices? What, what choices are available to us? And how do we make those choices? So painting the picture of those ideas, right? Some years ago, uh, in the Sunday New York Times, they talked. There was an article that was written called "Living Apart Together." Couples had made it, and um, they interviewed couples that made a decision that they do indeed love each other. They do not want to live together every day. So what they've done is they have two apartments in Manhattan. These were they were talking to New Yorkers, so there were two apartments in Manhattan. Close enough, for, uh, some of the couples were close enough where they could walk to each other. Um, they talked about not seeing each other every day, but 
going to the movies and having dinner when they wanted to, but still having the space. It was um, a monogamous relationship. There, you know, nobody had an open marriage or an open relationship, but they just chose not to live together seven days a week. How did that sound to you? Oh, I thought it was wonderful. I thought that it was wonderful. And, and as they talked about people around the world that do this, um, that percentage is growing. Now, this, these couples that the New York Times interviewed were couples that, as I said, could just walk to each other. But there are couples that live miles away from each other and don't have that opportunity to have that Saturday night date if that's what they want to do. But those are choices that people make in life. And, you know, there, there are people that stay together for years and years living like that. I think it's very interesting that each of us has uh, a different need for space. And we talk about it sometimes culturally. Like if we go to China or we go to Japan, they have a different parameter about how close you can be to one another when you're having a conversation. We all know that, right? That convention. The same thing is true for us when it comes to individual space. Each of us is really different about how much personal space we need, how much alone time we need, how much solitude works for us in terms of self-care or our tolerance for being alone on the other end of things how much can we tolerate being alone how many hours in a day can we tolerate being alone at what point do we crave togetherness or do we crave a conversation or do we crave an activity with another i think we're all created differently on that score how about you bb well and at times we, you know, while we may have the ideal picture of how we want our life to transpire, as in the separate apartments that Jenny, you were talking about, the couple having financially, sometimes we can't make that happen, right? So we are not necessarily stuck, but we are, we find ourselves in a time where we want, we need to cohabit, um, but yet we need to have those discussions with our partner to, uh, so that we both can understand what our needs are and what our preferences are. That, so they're clearly identified on the table. Um, so we're not hurting each other's feelings, that we're living a comfortable life, but yet exploring our own opportunities and lifestyles, right? That's another, that, that's another way to do it. I, I'm remembering a funny experience when I was with a partner of mine and we were on our way to have a vacation and I was I think particularly sort of overcooked a little bit burnt out and definitely craving silence but he was going to be with me and in the car ride up there which was about two hours I said I'm really craving silence and so when we get there my suggestion is that we just don't necessarily have any contact for the next whatever 24 hours and I, I call this chapter where are the cookies because at some point there comes sliding under my door a little note that said you know where are the cookies so it wasn't eliminating all conversation but at least it was respecting the fact that I just wasn't really up for anything and I wasn't angry or anything I just needed personal space another very good example is when you go on a trip let's say with a friend and you're with them for, let's say, four days straight, then you might have the discussion, especially like you're in a foreign country and you want to see this and they want to see that, to be able to say, you know what, how about Thursday we travel differently? How about let's Thursday each go our separate way and I'll really look forward to meeting you for dinner and having an exchange about our separate experiences. And that's a way to do it. <laughs> And then remember last week we were talking about the leave me alone hat, right? Right. That sometimes if you're a mom with a lot of kids and you just need peace, that you can put on your leave me alone cap or you could put one of the children in charge. There's always one child who's willing to protect you from the others and just say, hey, would you be willing to stand guard outside my door because I need an hour to close my eyes? And th that comes down to really knowing what we want, right? It's exactly. that 
what and we need. sometimes call selfish part and need um, and being comfortable <clears throat> with uh, recognizing that and then being brave enough to take the peaceful road out um, so that the discussion that we are participating in is leaving everyone whole. I really like that idea, the idea of having the kind of discussion that respects boundaries and especially as a parent modeling it for a child but also as as a partner in a relationship being able to model it sometimes it's up to us to articulate it first and say you know what thursday i would really like to have time to myself so let's not count on dinner that night well people make choices and we really want to really highlight the kinds of choices that people do make. We're all different. I'm Dr. Andrea Gould. I'm here with B.B. Peters and Jen Davis-Page, and we're wrapping up this discussion about emotional self-care, where we are speaking about, A, taking care of ourselves by ourselves, and also, B, taking care of ourselves in relationship, and what does that mean for making choices? What kind of choices do we have? What are the consequences of those choices? Right, and how often do we, how often are we at the crossroads of choosing uh, one action or the other, or one emotional reaction or the other? In the interest of self-care. Yes, yes, right. Well, there are some people that make a decision that they are uh, going to to marry and have children. Uh, raise a small or a large family. That's one choice. Uh, There are couples that decide that they're going to marry and not have any children at all. That's another choice. And then, of course, there is the uh, man or woman who decide that they're going to be single all of their lives, date and have relationships but be single, uh, and that's another choice. And also... I was thinking about the choices that we make and maybe how do we plan and prepare to make those choices, you know? Uh, One of the things that uh, we can do is to uh, write out a, like, let's say, just say a three-little-point plan of thoughts or ideas. And as we prepare to have one of those um, protective conversations with another person, we can better understand what the purpose of that is and what we want to convey and express about our, our, ourselves. So we're talking about really being able to formulate a plan about making a choice before we actually make that choice. And people do that Uh, Certainly in um, my experience as a therapist, if somebody is considering, for instance, leaving a marriage, so how are they going to plan for that? They have to envision what's going to happen if they stay married. They also need to be able to imagine, envision what the steps would be that they'd have to take in order to extricate themselves from that marriage. The same thing is true about a job how do you transition out of one and into retirement if that's still a possibility or or uh, segue into some kind of a reinvention it does require that we're able to imagine the consequences consequences of each action on that particular path and for instance you mentioned people who've never married and not have children and don't have children what would their path be like when they get way older and they need to make a plan for their own care in perpetuity but do they think about that at 25 when they make the decision not to marry or have children is that a thought do you think 50 55 years down down the road do you think about that and then sometimes life happens You might think that you're going to marry, have a bunch of children, and guess what? You never find the man that you want. 
so you never have children and that's not a choice that you wanted to make but life happened and that's and that's what happened to you and we have many more choices these days because there are plenty of people that I know who've married and had children and then later on in life decided to partner up with somebody of the same sex and continue part two of their lives or act three of their lives. So we certainly have more choices in front of us than we've ever had before. The question of being able to talk about it with other people, um, envision it, uh, visit places where we might have an easier time taking care of ourselves in the future. All of these are an extension of self-care and at a certain point in time, because life is not limitless, everybody needs to think about how they're going to manage themselves, manage to take care of themselves when they are no longer able to do everything for themselves. And I think because there's such a community now, you know, our grandmothers didn't have it. I mean, our grandmothers didn't think about, well, Sarah, when we grow older, we're going to live together. They weren't talking like that. But now, uh, in today's woman, uh, the boomer, uh, there there is now a community of women and uh, uh, women that love each other, that will look out for one another and may decide, let's just buy a, a home have have rooms and we can all share and live under one roof and look out for one another so i mean there's so many options now that weren't available 50 years ago and i think us boomer women are really thinking i have i've heard this countless times and all over the world that people are coming up with more creative solutions for living together in later life and as we were, were actually talking about choices and options doesn't it sound to you like that is a very a freeing capacity to give ourselves as a gift it (laughs) kind of takes the fear away of just Mm -hmm. going down a certain um, direction but having options and how we create that by engaging our community in the support of that of sharing those uh, thoughts and feelings that we may have and discussing them whether it be here at the table as we are doing now or with our friends on a call or an email and engaging our loved ones in the creation of that process. I think that we are blessed to be able to communicate, to be able to connect. And for many people who are in their 50s, 60s, and 70s, this is probably the most frequently occurring conversation that they can have, that we can have. And so I certainly am all in favor of us devoting um, some time with our podcast to have some guests who have different ideas about how we might live well in the future, how we might care for ourselves, what we're willing to do. And all the while that that's going on, um, the more um, corporate side of life is developing communities and living arrangements. The healthcare industry is coming up with some options of their own. So we want to keep our eye on developing trends about that because instead of worrying about what college we're going to go to or what kind of job we're going to have, this is what's up for the boomer generation. Yes, and also to uh, actually, in addition to having guests that um, can speak to those possibilities, perhaps we can chat with people who are who are actually existing and living in those uh, possibilities to gather their experiences and what they have learned through those circumstances. That would be a, a, a wonderful, wonderful show to have because. Because the boomers are, we're, we're moving down uh, uh, the road in terms of, of aging and, and we are looking out after our good health because we want to stay healthy as long as we can so that we can take care of ourselves. And nobody wants to be a burden on anyone. But it would be wonderful to be able to talk to men and women who have decided that they're going to all live under one roof, take good care of each other, look out for each other, and not have to depend on adult children or adult grandchildren who may or may not want to participate in the process. I saw a movie not too long ago, I can't remember what it was, but this group bought a hotel 
They all had their own room. They all had a community room in the dining room. They'd meet for dinner and they'd, they'd do their own cooking and they'd barbecue in the backyard. So they were having a, a great time. Um, and, and that's how you want to proceed in life, to know that you're going to grow old, have a good time, and be able to sit on the porch with a martini or an iced tea and talk to friends and reminisce about life. I, I, I think that would be a wonderful show to have. Let's do that expedition soon. I'm in agreement. I'd like to add that in my fantasy of a good life at an advanced age, that there also be included an intergenerational aspect so that we can make sure that our physical and um, health needs are also met by a group of people younger and stronger than ourselves. I look forward to that kind of visualization among all of us with guests as well. Let's hope they'll want to hang out with us. We are so magnetic that they would definitely want to hang out with us. So we're saying goodbye for now. We look forward to having you visit our blog at Boom Goddess Radio under the word Vista, which is Big View. And we hope that the blog itself raises um, more issues, transmits more information, and we welcome your responses. We encourage the interaction. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in today. This is Dr. Andrea, Jennifer, and Bibi, your Boom Goddesses, signing off. Each voice of wisdom shares ripples out into our universe and inspires so many others. Namaste. For technical reasons, portions of this program have been pre-recorded. <laughs>